Welcome to Indisputable. I am Sharon Reed. Once again, in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. The doctor will be back. And joining me as special guest co-host today is Ray Vanna. Just rolls off the tongue, okay? Um, Ray, it's always a pleasure to be here with you. I can't wait to hear your commentary. Um, one of my favorites. You probably think I say that to everyone. I mostly do. I think I do, but you you truly are one of my favorites. Um, what do you say we jump right into it? Um, and I want to start with a global headline. America, look at your life. Because it seems that a woman attempted to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth home. Look at your life. Atlanta police have arrested Lanisha Chantrice Henderson for attempting to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth home yesterday evening. She's been charged with criminal attempt arson, criminal attempt interference with government property, the two-story house where Dr. King spent the first 12 years of his life. Because King's home is federal property, Henderson could face further charges here. One of the tourists on the scene, Zach Kemp, told the New York Times he initially thought the woman was watering shrubs in front of the house before she rushed up the stairs and pulled on the front screen door. She did not respond when they asked what she was doing, emptying the contents of a five gallon container before tossing it into the bushes and grabbing a lighter. She had left on the grass, he said. Mr. Kemp said the woman had a nervous energy, but was not aggressive and walked away after he physically blocked her path. It was he who called 911, shouted for help to the two off-duty New York officers who chased down the suspect and restrained her until local police arrived. And a fire department battalion chief, Gary DeBerry said, had the witnesses not intervened, the house could have been burned to the ground in just moments. Could have been a matter of seconds before the house was engulfed in flames, DeBerry said. See the take down there. Give you more information on Henderson, 26-year-old woman's father and three sisters who arrived on the scene later described her as a veteran in mental distress. Mr. Kemp told the Times, the accused was receiving a mental health evaluation before being transferred to the local jail, police said on Thursday night. King Center released the following statement. Tonight, an unfortunate incident occurred at the birth home of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as an individual attempted to set fire to this historic property. Fortunately, the attempt was unsuccessful thanks to the brave intervention of good Samaritans and the quick response of law enforcement. We thank the Atlanta Police Department, Atlanta Fire Department, the National Park Service, and Mayor Andre Dickens for leading the efforts to ensure the safety of our cherished national landmark and its adjacent neighbors. Our prayers are with the individual who allegedly committed this criminal act. Obviously, Ray, this this young woman, according to her own family, in the middle of a, a mental health episode, if you will. Um, and that's important to note. But when I began with America, look at your life, look at the climate that we're currently in. Could have very well have been born out of something else, if you will. Your reaction? Yeah, obviously, when I first saw the story and I was reading through the article, when I got to the name and the photo of the woman who's been arrested in relation to the incident, and I saw uh, there's a video of her putting the gasoline on the porch, I was surprised because it wasn't 
what I expected given the headline that I read, um, which I, I think is exactly the point you're making that my immediate reaction was this must have been uh, a white supremacist trying to erase the uh, history and uh, the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, but there's also, you know, as you mentioned, it's important to point out that she was having a mental health episode and her family also mentioned that she is a veteran because I think that that goes a long way to show the lack of resources that there are for veterans in this country. I mean, and if not for these interveners, these tourists who just happen to be there blocking her from doing it, we could have lost this monumental part of history. Uh, and that would have been absolutely devastating. And the estate of Martin Luther King Jr. said in that message that they're praying for her. And I, I think that's also important to highlight that they they want this person to get the resources that she needs so that things like this don't happen in the future. Because if any of the circumstances had been changed just a little bit, if there hadn't been these individuals there to stop her, the house would have burned down, as they mentioned, in a matter of moments considering the amount of gasoline that she had already doused the house in, you know, so she, this is a person who evidently has been failed by the system, you know, and just mm -hmm. as we see with so many veterans who, you know, as, as it's pitched to them, they sacrifice for this country, they leave the services and then what do they get? Um, severely underfunded assistance, poor medical care, uh, lack of, training to be reintegrated at, into society as a civilian. Uh, and that seems like these things failed this woman so severely uh, that she acted in this manner, not to excuse it, but just to give maybe some context as to how it happened in the first place. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I think that it was proper and decent for the King Center to also point out that these are good Samaritans. Notice there was no overkill. And they seem to be forthcoming in their statements that there was not real resistance here. Something seemed to be going on. And to those who would say, well, well, well wait, if this woman, instead of a lighter and gasoline, had a gun, would the same individuals on the same perhaps side of the aisle, I mean, Martin Luther King and the King Center is about nonviolence and social justice for all. But would the same individuals quickly just say, oh, nothing to see here, unfortunate incident, and um, yeah, mental health episode. There's, you know, yeah. especially considering that, you know, it's it's hard to, to consider, especially when, you know, this is a veteran, she probably does have access to weapons. so. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not quite yeah. sure to be honest. It stumped me too. Um, I know people are already bringing bringing that up, hypocrisy or whatever. I think that it's best to look at things like this in a truthful manner. We do know the facts here. I believe we do know the facts, and it is an unfortunate incident. And the best news we heard was that it wasn't. We don't believe preliminarily the investigation though seems to have gone pretty far. We don't believe this is an act of anything but someone who's in the middle of something that needs assistance. We'll keep following it. Vivek, 
Ramaswamy is pushing the great replacement theory. Go ahead, take a look. Here's my issue with all three of my other colleagues on this debate stage is all three of them have been licking Donald Trump's boots for years for money and endorsements. Ron DeSantis, you've been a great governor, but you would have never been one without actually begging Donald Trump for that endorsement. And you attacked him in your book a year ago. Same thing with Chris Christie as a lobbyist, begging them for COVID money for his special interests in New Jersey, prepping him for the debates last time around. These people are now Monday morning quarterbacking some decision he made. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11 that the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform, that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech, that the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security (laughs) establishment that actually put up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person on the stage who can say these things. That's what it's going to take, not people who were licking his boots one time and now Monday morning quarterbacking and criticizing (laughs) when it's convenient. You know, for the first 32 seconds, just a rough guess, he might have been on to something. But then there we go, there we go. Wired with the details, the outlet acknowledges how for months, GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy has been dog whistling extremists far right ideologies and wild conspiracy theories. And then on Wednesday night at the fourth GOP presidential debate, Ramaswamy went all in. Well, he didn't hold back. After blasting the three other debaters for turning on former President Donald Trump, Ramaswamy argued without evidence that the January 6th Capitol riot was an inside job. The 2020 presidential election was stolen. The government had lied about 9-11 and the deep state was responsible for all these things, wired with the details. Then Ramaswamy claimed the great replacement theory is not some grand right wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. The great replacement theory is a widely debunked conspiracy. The liberal establishment along with a cabal of global elites is encouraging the immigration of people of color in order to replace white voters. Wired noting there was immediate celebration from white supremacists online. Yeah, so the dog whistle, okay, who's your audience? (laughs) Particularly white nationalist influencer Nick Fuentes, Fuentes who was live streaming his reaction appeared visibly shocked before gleefully telling his thousands of viewers, let's go as Ramaswamy continued to spew out conspiracies. The clip of Fuentes reaction was then reposted on X by Irish anti-Semitic and anti-immigrant influencer Keith O'Brien, known online as Keith Woods. O'Brien captioned his post, time to mainstream this discussion across the West. And as the post quickly racked up likes and shares, Ramaswamy's own official X account even reposted the tweet. O'Brien wrote on his telegram, 
panel repost by Vivek. Very cool. We love Vivek. Hmm. Ramaswamy subsequently deleted the post from his feed, but within minutes of Ramaswamy boosting the conspiracies, verified accounts on X and major far right influencers on platforms like Telegram. We're celebrating. Vivek says all the right things. John Sable, QAnon promoter known as QAnon John, wrote on his Telegram channel. Jordan Sather, another QAnon influencer, claiming Initial media reports of Ramaswamy spouting conspiracy theories prove that Vivek kicked ass on the debate stage last night. Ramaswamy did not immediately respond to requests for comment from Wired. Night before the debate, the candidate also boosted the conspiracy theory on X in a post calling the theory basic immigration policy for Democrats. Wired goes on to remind us that the once fringe theory Cited as a motive by multiple mass shooters in recent years has been amplified, not only by online far right influencers, but also mainstream right wing figures like Tucker Carlson, who pushed the great replacement theory countless times on his former Fox News show. Hannah Gase, a senior researcher at the Southern Poverty Law Center, told Wired, quote, great replacement, just one of several Iterations of racist white extinction theories that radical right actors have injected into American politics throughout the years. It's motivated far right extremists to carry out acts of grotesque racial violence, whether in the United States or abroad. She continued, quote, at times, these theories have mainly found favor among the far right fringe. In other cases, their embrace among more mainstream political actors has led to devastating policy changes, such as the use of racial quota systems in immigration law. Great replacement theory has also been used across Europe to justify the rise of authoritarian regimes, such as that of Viktor Orban, Hungary, recently cited as an excuse for the violent riots that engulfed Ireland's capital last month. Now, we know that there are people who drink this and they do actually believe that this is the case. And then there are others who are worse. They're not gullible. They didn't grow up just being racist, okay? They are bright, devious, devilish minds. And they know that to stay relevant and to boost popularity, they just pull out their bag of tricks and they throw it out there. And that's what Ramaswamy, who has that lasting big smile as he does this really horrific evil work. It's evil work, okay? Calling out the worst in people's minds and putting them to work. He knows what he's doing. You agree with me, don't you, Ray? Oh, absolutely. I think that you hit the nail on the head precisely when it comes to what Vivek is trying to do. I mean, just his entire campaign has been uh, filled with this sort of far-right dog whistling and uh, giving the 4chan trolls exactly what they want to see in a presidential candidate. Thankfully, that's not a large enough contingent of the population to elect him president. Uh, but still concerning that he's able to do so on the national stage. Just as an example, his platform, he refers to it as the Ten Commandments, uh, the first of which is God is real, which Vivek Ramaswamy 
that raises some questions <laughs> considering you're obviously trying to play into the Christian fascism in this country, but you aren't a Christian, Vivek. And then the second of which is there are only two genders. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knew exactly what he was doing that evening on the debate stage. But I wasn't surprised when he said it, because as I mentioned, this has been what his entire campaign is. And he's not the only one. The DeSantis campaign has also been not infiltrated, but supported by the same fringe right wing hyper online elements. And you saw that come out a little bit when one of the workers for the DeSantis campaign posted a video, an edit of uh, Ron DeSantis that featured Nazi symbols in it. And it is so scary that we live in a country where these people are, you know, running for president. They're given this massive platform, although this debate was on Newsmax, so or, uh, it was on News Nation. So how massive the platform was, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but, you know, they're still, you know, being given this platform. They're still able to present these in horrific racist ideas to a captive audience. Uh, and we saw with people like Tucker Carlson, deplatforming worked. I almost never hear what he's doing anymore now that he doesn't have a Fox News show, now that he doesn't have his white supremacist power hour every evening being broadcast wow. to millions of homes across the country. So I really think that that is the approach we need to take. And unfortunately, when the Republican Party is so saturated with these types of far-right, racist, fascist elements, that deplatforming becomes even more of a difficult and arduous task than it already was. Yeah. That's you just gave us a dissertation on this whole thing. And it would be different if this were a conspiracy theory without real injury. Remember the movie Splash, 84, I believe it was, Mermaids, it was Daryl Hannah, correct? And this mythical creature, half human, half fish, there were many people still today who believe mermaids are real. And the government is keeping that from us. Okay. That to me is if you that's what you want to believe, believe it. Beautiful, right? Who doesn't want to swim away and then flop on land? I don't know, but it's a harmless conspiracy theory. But when you start putting people who are predisposed, who are depressed perhaps about their own state and maybe can't even think clearly about that up to this. Brown people, immigrants trying to replace us. They're trying to breed us out. The government is helping them. What do you think happens to those people? What do you think happens to them? So while Vivek is getting more likes on X and boosting things and giving credibility to Fuentes and others, what's going to happen to these innocent people? Last word goes to you, Ray. I'll just say um, this is a highly motivated group of, I, as I mentioned, they're small, but they are motivated and ready to attack. I 
um, you know, not a large public figure, but a public figure. And I mentioned once that I am in an interracial relationship and I was targeted by these far right white supremacists, specifically on the basis of this ideology, telling me that I was uh, an active participant in the white genocide, that I was supposedly trying to destroy our culture and our power in this country just based on who I love. And they it was vicious and it went on for a long time. And it made me very reticent to talk about my personal life online again. And if that's happening to me, then that's happening to so many people, uh, so many public figures, so many influencers, or so many people who aren't public figures, so many individuals who are just posting a, a happy Instagram picture with them and their partner. Uh, and the backlash is vicious. And the point of it is, is to shame people into conforming into that behavior, to make their life so horrible that they either completely remove themselves from being online just don't talk about their life anymore, uh, or that they end those relationships. So we have to try to deplatform these people as much as possible, and obviously not give in to their ridiculous uh, fascistic wow. pressure. You are brave. You're courageous. Um, you speak truth, and you're right because I don't know. You don't look much older than seventeen, but let's say it was a seventeen-year-old experiencing love for the first time outside of their race. They might capitulate and never be the same and think this is true. I have a responsibility to stay inside with my own, if you will. It's despicable. And so is Vivek. And he's just the latest, let's face it. There's always going to be somebody else who takes hold of this and pushes it for their own personal gain. Much more indisputable when we come right back. I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Green card. Green card, please. I want to see your damn green card. I did not try to throw him off. Yeah, but you did. You see? You did. What okay, I'm and I, I'm approve it. I'm approve it. You I'm think approve. you're yes, going to? I, I'm going to get you in trouble. Well, go ahead, <laughs> <For> sir. <laughs> Knowing what, kind, what kind of medication you are? I'm not on any kind. You are like you like drunk on something medication. I'm not drunk but I promise you, I'm this is not the way that you. I'm tired of your coming over here and taking our jobs. Taking whose jobs? You're not doing that job, ma'am. You doing that job? Show me your green card. Are, are you doing that job? I asked for a green card. How? Is it? We we need a green card. Yes, you do. For what? You need a green card to be here. You need a you green need a, card. You need a green. You. you need a uh, green card I to be here. I let them. I will show. I will tell every member of this association that they're hiring illegal aliens to do trash jobs. I walk. I walk with you to tell them. Come on. 
Yes. Let's go. Now. I go with you. Now I will call a meeting. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's leaving in 11 and 14. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Oh, Miss Karen. I was just looking up. It is a Three Stooges skit. It's a Three Stooges. And then remember, I don't know. I think it was Moe's head who got stuck in between as they were taking the ladder away. I don't believe she was acting out that skit. Uh, this woman who's demanding a green card and removing uh, the option to escape the roof. According to users online, incident happened in Georgia. Soccer. Back in September, we don't know much else, but do we really need to know much else? Uh, what are we going to do about people like this? Because I, normally, Ray, the options would be confront it or ignore it. But when you're stuck two stories up, you, you have to kind of deal with it and negotiate with this aggressive ladder thief, Karen. I, I don't know what you do. I mean, I'm just glad to start with that nobody was injured in this situation Amen. because that yeah. easily could have happened. I mean, when you're working on a roof and, you know, if you're standing on the ladder, she pulls it away, you fall down. That could be a serious or even life ending injury. So thankfully, physically, everybody walked away okay from that. Although I would suppose that that woman probably walked away from that situation with a wicked hangover the next day, considering how clearly mm. inebriated. <laughs> she was in that video, but of course, being under the influence or uh, you know of of drugs or alcohol doesn't make you racist. She was already racist. Maybe it just emboldened her to do these actions. Um, you know, I think, and it's it, it's always sad to say this because obviously the person, the people involved, behaved you know very responsibly they recorded they documented um you know and he, he didn't he wasn't like aggressive with her and it's it sucks i'll just say it it sucks that the victims of this type of aggression that this type of racism are expected to stay calm they're expected to be the rational ones uh, because they are the victims you know and if he had freaked out and started screaming at her uh you know even if it escalated the situation he would have been well within his rights because what she did was she saw uh you know a Mexican Hispanic individual, I'm, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but you know, she saw a brown person doing a job and she became so outraged at the idea that some reason she was sure that if he wasn't there, then a white person would be able to get that job, whatever it may be. And she was also so sure in her racist assumption that this individual couldn't be an American citizen, couldn't possibly have been born here, simply based on the color of his skin, or maybe he was speaking Spanish to her, despite living in Miami was indicative of someone not being American. Um, how do we address this? I mean, it looks like maybe a community that would have a homeowners association. Yes. Hopefully they would act to, you know, remove this woman from living there. Clearly, you know, she's not capable of living in in a diverse area or being around uh, you know, people who don't look like her or talk like her or act like her. And maybe she needs some time to reflect and fix that. She needs repercussions and she should be charged. She should be charged, you know, with a attempted assault on this individual. 
you know, and potentially a hate crime. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Everything you said was important, but that last part, it's happening too often, not enough consequence for it. This is a hate crime. This gentleman could have been seriously hurt physically. Like you said, there's also the the mental that comes along with it, as if brown people are the only ones who are coming to this country. (laughs) Okay, there's other people, you know. Anybody could be from someplace else. And who are you, Karen, to tell us any different? And who are you to check people for their papers? And one other thing you said, right, that resonated with me. I'm not a drinker. Never happened. Can you imagine if I was drunk? Here we go. Okay, here we go. But I don't drink. If I did, I would still, though, be me, just another version of me on, you know, 10, 20, maybe. I would get three dozen boxes of Krispy Kreme donut instead of one. That's who I am. Okay. I wouldn't say things or eat things like broccoli because that's not who I am. Okay. This is who she is. Okay. A little bit liquored up, perhaps. At least that's how it seems. Black people don't live here. Now, now y'all don't want to say anything about me being black. Black people don't live here. This is not my neighborhood. This is not my neighborhood. This is why you're here. This is not my neighborhood. No, it's not your. I haven't lived here for ten plus years. I didn't go to the University of Miami and live here and commute. Okay. You don't have a brain. You got scholarship because that's what you got. This is how you went to the university. What does that mean? No, I paid. I paid the money. <laughs> I didn't get a scholarship to UM. Trust me. My parents have money. That's why we live here. Black people have money too. Black people have money too. You did not pay. Don't tell me that you paid. You want to see my student loans? I can. I can bring up Mohila right now. Okay. Okay. Suddenly, it is reduced to a lot of noise about student loans. Okay, because this cackle of Karens does not believe that this person of color could have possibly paid for college. I, what were they protesting? Why is this coming up? Why are you involved in this? There you have it. Cackle, which is one of my favorite words. <laughs> I love it when the team here uses the word cackle because it's just so. Um, you can almost taste it, okay, what's going on here. You can almost taste it. What we can gather appears to have happened somewhere in Miami, Florida. Video was uploaded to TikTok on 11.22 by TikTok user T. And these people who are standing for something decided they wanted to pivot to something else. Two other videos posted on 11.20. T had a prior verbal altercation with two other women who appeared to be outraged over or pro-Palestine protest. One of the videos, T can be seen holding her protest sign as drivers heckle and curse at her. What do you make of it, Ray? And um, this assumption, one of the things that bothered me about this video was the way the anti-Karen, will say, responded. You didn't do anything wrong. But you're immediately put in this position where you want to defend yourself against tomfoolery and ignorance. She's actually arguing that no, 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 no. My parents have money and they paid for my college as if she got a scholarship for financial aid would make this okay and make this cackle of parents, pay of pay, somehow valid in what they were spewing. 
that really bothered me. Again, nothing wrong, but what we're trained to do because we're under such assault from this nonsense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it definitely is nonsense because the assumption being made there initially was this black woman can't possibly live in this neighborhood. She can't possibly live in this neighborhood simply made on the basis of her being black. And it seems that that also comes from this being maybe an upper upper class, upper middle class neighborhood, wealthier neighborhood. So then they're assuming that because she's black, she must be poor, racist. And you know, then I I can empathize with wanting to defend yourself, of course, though there's no logic to the racism. It's you know inherently illogical. Racism is inherently illogical. So when you start to have to defend yourself from nonsense, it's going to come out sounding maybe also a little bit like nonsense. Although I can sympathize with her strongly about the student loans. Mohila also owns my student loans and I am drowning. (laughs) I am drowning in them. I'll say I was happy to see that there wasn't that strong of a showing at their little pro-Israel protest Mm -hmm. on the side of a busy road. And it was very brave of her to come out and counter protest because uh, you know, she was immediately made the victim of racist assumptions. We didn't get to see the full altercation she mentioned in that video when she took her phone out and started recording that they weren't acting as brave. You know, we still heard them yeah. making racist accusations. Yeah. So it makes me wonder how horrendous what was coming out of their mouths before she started recording was. But you know, the phone, you know, didn't take away their nerve from. Yeah. You know, you know, it would seem like you know they weren't attacking her maybe as viciously as they were before, but they were still willing to be racist on camera. Mm-hmm. So not a great group of people. <laughs> maybe they need to be kicked out of that neighborhood. Yeah, I don't know if they were members of the same family, but this had like a they were generational. They were mm-hmm. racist. Okay, you had the one woman who appeared to be a senior member of the group who was quite vocal and adamant. Then you had some seemingly younger members. Um, who were just as uh, well? They were equal opportunity spewing this this really horrendous garbage. Okay, it's garbage. What more can you say? Wow, we'll keep chronicling it and studying it and seeing how we can remedy it. This is indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Doctor Rashad Ritchie. Ravana is our special guest co-host today. We're right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. Sharon Reed alongside Ravana today in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Honored to be here filling in for the good doctor. Um, the comments, you all are very active today about the bigot, Karen, who took the workers ladder from them, leaving them stranded on the roof because it felt like that's what she could do. Craig Cray Souffle is calling this a reverse Romeo and racist Juliet, Karen. I think that is quite accurate. Please no curtain calls, thankfully. Cray Cray, you're right. You're right. Okay. We've seen this production and um, that's a wrap. Okay. Thank you and good night. Brett Campbell, aka Dragon My Ass, or maybe it's My Ass. Karen needs to be charged with reckless endangerment. Couldn't agree more. Ray and I agree. Needs uh, stiffer, stiffer penalties here. And it is a hate crime, as Ravana said. Ginny B has this to say, charge ladder Karen, false imprisonment. That was her trapping that worker with no way out. Ridiculous. 
Indeed. Uh, more from YouTube FM says this, white supremacy is not modus vivendi. Uh, removing the latter was a clear threat of harm, arrest her. Uh, this next one is, um, it's hard to report, images hard to acknowledge, but this is what's out there. This is what happened, folks. Cop slams a special needs second grader to the ground. Wyoming, the parents of a second grader have filed a federal lawsuit claiming that a deputy in Laramie County violated their son's civil rights. Edited footage of the incident shows the school resource officer tackling the eight-year-old to the floor and admitting to giving him a bloody nose during an incident at Freedom Elementary School in Cheyenne, Wyoming, last year. Parents allege that Benjamin Jacob, resource officer and a member of the Laramie County Sheriff's Department, beat up the second grader and deleted the body cam footage. Jacob, weighing 280 pounds at the time of the alleged attack, the boy, 68 pounds. I did the math. What is that? Uh, 212 pound difference. When can police use physical force? Uh, in defense of others, I think is one thing. Uh, if they feel threatened, perhaps. Okay, a second grade special needs student. There's more. According to the lawsuit, February 2022, the child who is identified in the court record only as JD has been spending his lunch recess in the principal's office in accordance with his customized individualized education plan, IEP. Issued because of his neurodivergent disability. After lunch on the day of the incident, as the second grader sat at a desk in the hallway, he received a reprimand from a teacher and a principal for his remarks to a cashier in the school's lunchroom. The deputy joined the group. And a black star with the details. Okay, now let's set that up right there. Second grader, accused of doing something in the lunchroom, mouthing off in some way. I didn't see anywhere here in the reporting that they asked for an officer to join them to get this situation under control. Well, the officer, I picture like waddling up to the scene and inserting himself because that's what people in my mind like this do, okay? They look for trouble and overreact, just me. Without being asked to intervene, there it is. In the conversation or to enforce disciplinary action, the deputy grabbed the child and forcibly wrestled him down to the floor. The claim staged to quo repeatedly slammed JD face down onto the floor of the conference room, causing multiple bleeding facial injuries. Body cam footage shows the deputy holding the boy's arms crisscrossed behind his back with his face to the floor. Now, who told you to do all that? Was that in your manual? 212 pounds more than the boy, and you want to go WWE. Nobody asked you over here. Nobody told you to take it there. As the boy is being smushed into the floor, the video shows JD struggling to breathe, crying uncontrollably, begging for the officer to stop. Fight me, fight me again, the deputy says, as the boy yelps in pain. Ow, ow, ow. I won't. No, you just bit me. Do you want to try this again? Duquo asked the child. Body cam is blurred as the officer continues berating the boy who's already restrained on the floor. The boy cries out, I'm sorry. 
Ow. Put your legs down, Deputy barks. Ow, I give up, the boy says, while the deputy snaps orders at him to cross his legs. When J.D. asked Jaquo to let him go, the officer says, no, no, you don't get to win this now. It's all me. You understand me? And guess where it's going now? You just tried biting me. I should be taking you to jail for assault on a peace officer. This goes under the headline of you sound like a fool. You sound like a fool, okay? After hearing the threat of jail, the eight-year-old whimpers, I give up. I had to put my hands on you, Jaquo says. Towards the end of the video, because you started kicking me. I put you on the floor, then you decided to try and bite me. He stated again to the child, if you were an adult, you would be in handcuffs and out in my car right now. This is the second time you try to do something to me because I am trying to control the situation because you are out of control. Partial video shared with the public is eight minutes, 44 seconds long. Shows him trying to calm the boy down when he seems unable to catch his voice. I wonder why. Time of the assault, the student was not suspected of any crime was not under arrest, did not possess a weapon. Also, when the boy's father, Ishmael DeJesus, asked Jaquo why he assaulted the boy, the peace officer answered, because as a law enforcement officer, that's my primary function. We're still under that headline, okay? And maybe I'm dumbing it down too much, but that's the headline I've come up with, okay? Fool and foolishness. The complaint was filed by attorney Matthew Holtzman, who pulled data, I love it when attorneys pull data, from a written report by the principal. Holtzman says the assault has traumatized the young boy. JD is still trying to process this and recover what happened to him. And he has nightmares about this. It's something that has truly changed the person he was, a little boy that was growing up and becoming a third grader, he said. Lawyers for the parents state that while the footage while the footage is disturbing, there are portions of the assault that were purposely deleted from his camera in an effort to conceal his wrongdoing. As per the lawsuit, the deputy remains employed by the Laramie County Sheriff's Office. Nevertheless, Laramie County School District 1 has stated that the deputy is no longer assigned as a school resource officer in any of their schools. Another aspect highlighting the deputy's actions, underscoring their potential criminality, is that Wyoming law explicitly Forbids the use of prone restraint in school. Family wants to take the case to trial, hoping the officer is held accountable. And here we are. This is where we are with this situation. Here is Laramie County Sheriff Brian Kozak. So this, Ravana, the quote, According to the parent, the father who said, well, what'd you beat up my kid for, basically? Because that's what I'm here to do, something to the effect. Really? I believe there's one truth in that statement. This resource officer, peace officer, deputy, actually believes that is his job. Mm-hmm. That he is in control and he wanted to control this boy who weighed 212 pounds less than him. And, oh, I don't know, just like when you use a taser on somebody, they cut legs flying, tried to bite me. 
Wow. Your reaction? Well, first, my reaction, you know, just to that quote from him is that if he's, well, first of all, he believes this is his job. But if he's willing to treat a child like that, he'd be willing to treat an adult like that. This is an officer who believes that any perceived slight against him, any perceived disrespect is a justification on his part to use violence to try to control that individual, no matter how small and harmless they may be. I'm glad we're covering this story. I hope it continues to garner national attention because it highlights violence against disabled children that happens in schools. Not It's not just this one. I know it's not just limited to this school. Obviously, I've worked in disability law, but I also worked in schools for disabled children. So I've been trained in therapeutic crisis intervention. I know that the proper way, if this child was a harming himself which would or physically harming another child that would be the time you intervene physically and the correct way to do it so that you don't harm the individual is a bear hug essentially and then you walk up to the wall and you sit down you use the wall to help sit down and you sit there uh and wait until the child calms down and then you talk through what happened but that's a last resort only to be used when the child is physically harming themselves or another child because that kid is not a threat to you. You know, he says that the child kicked him. He's sitting at a desk, maybe he's just swinging his legs, accidentally hit the police officer or even if the child meant to do it, he's 7. You are a grown ass man and that is a 7-year-old child. And then he he says he the child bit him, but not until after he threw him to the floor with enough force to cause him facial injuries that were bleeding immediately bleeding. <sighs> and they didn't get the nurse, which would be a protocol no matter what type of restraint you put a child in. But I'm glad that we highlighted that those types of restraints, prone restraints, are outlawed in that state. They're outlawed in a lot of states. They should be outlawed in every state. Because they kill children and adults, but what they kill children in schools when they use those restraints against them, you know, not infrequently. That's why there are strict regulations in some states around using those types of restraints. I mean, clearly, this isn't, a, you know, just an individual who shouldn't be around, you know, children in schools. This is an individual who shouldn't have any position of authority, any power over other people in any capacity. Clearly, an officer willing to abuse the power that he's been given. Uh, and I'm glad that the family is filing these lawsuits because there needs to be justice. But unfortunately, that traumatic experience, the threat of being arrested, the physical abuse by an adult can never be undone. Yeah. And that's trauma that this child at a very formative age is now going to have to live with. This they've, this officer has created a massive distrust in adults, in authority, in this child. And, and you know, they might be able to get secure a large uh, hopefully. settlement. Yeah, you know, hopefully. But will that ever undo the damage that has been done to this child? No, you can't ever make that person whole, especially not at that at such a young age. So this is truly distressing. I'm glad we're highlighting this, but it's not just him. It's not just this school. I've worked in these schools. I've seen the types of people that they're willing to hire at these institutions who are not cut out for the job.
comes yeah. down to mistreatment of disabled people and, you know, underfunding education in this country. Simple as. Yep. And you can go on and get officers, deputies, whatever, like the quo out of schools. Mm-hmm. They don't belong. And the fact that he's out now and back on the streets, presumably, is disgusting as well. And, you know, the layers of trauma, that's really what, what you're referring to. A grown man beats and could have done worse to this child. We didn't hear anything about the other two adults who I'm I'm thinking were afraid to intervene and allowed. Nobody asked him to enter the conversation. I don't know what happened in the lunchroom. And you know why you don't know either? Because it must not have risen to any kind of level that would lead to this, mm-hmm. okay? Nothing justifies this use of force, not a thing, not one thing. And yet children, special needs children, they're not worth anything, not worth anything. This officer was like a cat with a little mouse, toying with it and playing with it and taking out all of his frustrations on, I didn't even, hear about any kind of radical behavior from a child. I just heard child behavior. Mm -hmm. And up until the point that the child was physically assaulted, the child wasn't violent. That's what the report would surely reference that or make it up even. They didn't think to make it up this time. Outrageous. And then the father, who must be an overly decent man, wants to know why you assaulted his child instead of taking on another man. Okay. This is disgusting. Last word is yours, Ravana. Yeah, I'll just add that I mentioned I worked in schools with disabled children. Specifically, I was a one-on-one with a seven-year-old child who had gone through a lot of trauma, more trauma than any person, let alone child, should have to endure, especially at that young age. And he had behavioral disabilities. He acted out. And some days he hit me, spit on me, pulled at my hair, you know, swore at me. Clawed at me with his fingernails, uh, but I never put my hands on a child. I never, I never put him in a restraint simply because he was attacking me. Because there was a huge difference between me being an adult and him being a child. He wasn't a threat to me. He was a child in distress, and I had tools at my disposal to use to help calm him down, to de-escalate the situation, to intervene, and to teach him. When that situation arises in the future, how we can address it differently. That's how the people working at this school have been trained. So I'm also given pause by the fact that one, this officer working in the school where there are disabled children, children with IEPs, was not given that training or totally ignored it. But I'm also concerned by the adults that were standing there that didn't intervene, that didn't try to stop him, that didn't go try to get medical attention immediately for the child. They waited for a period of time that allowed this officer to do this because that to me suggests a culture at this school that accepts this type of abuse of children. And that needs to be investigated and this officer needs to be behind bars. All right.
your valuable experience is just so helpful here because when you related your own experience, I think you began by talking about what a seven-year-old child had been through. And as a result, what symptoms the child was left with, right? When a child is unable to self-soothe, you talked about that wall technique, the bear hug, to help assist and bring the emotional quotient down, okay? None of that was done here, unless the training was, you know, in some kind of outdoor, only the strongest can survive, tear up the environment reality show. I don't think there was any training here. None by anyone involved. Who's going to tell? We'll keep following it. Got to have a lawsuit here and criminal charges, folks. Man attacks an Asian grandfather pushing a baby stroller. Watch. life. Look at your life. According to reports, KTLA, NBC, Los Angeles, just one day after security camera footage showed that man. Look at the stroller. Why don't you look at the stroller too? That man sucker punch an Asian grandfather who was pushing his 10 month old granddaughter in her stroller. Calabasas, California, this took place. Kardashians live there, others live there, right? Not safe, not safe for some people. Happened on Tuesday, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department says they've arrested this attacker. KTLA reported the older man suffered some broken bones. His granddaughter was left bruised. The grandfather, a man in his 60s, called the LASD Tuesday evening to report the incident. Wednesday evening, LA. SD announced they'd arrested 29-year-old Angel Sanchez Jr. in Oxnard on a charge of assault with force likely to produce great bodily injury after releasing these images following the attack. Sanchez is also suspected in another attack on a 14-year-old Asian boy, same afternoon. Teenager Nathan Mignari spoke to NBC Los Angeles saying he was on the way to his boxing gym when a man randomly attacked him. And Yari said of the ordeal, quote, he just came up from behind me, grabbed me. He tried to hit the back of my head first, and then he tried kneeing my body. I protected myself pretty good. I hit him in the stomach, but I wasn't really that effective. He kept grabbing my shirt. He threw me. He kind of tossed me in the bushes. I rolled down a little hill. He just walked off, didn't say anything. Yarny. Said he immediately ran to the gym, 
and told his coach what happened. The teenager suffered scratches and bruising all over his body. He said his boxing experience helped him stay calm. Now 14-year-olds need boxing experience. Police report pointed out that the victims share the same ethnicity. It said the motive for the attacks is still being investigated. LASD keep investigating. What I've seen, random attack. I didn't see any provocation here. I saw a disgusting being harm three people. The youngest, 10 months old, 14-year-old, and a 60-year-old grandfather just, I, is breathing a crime? How about walking to where you're supposed to be? Is that a crime? I think I see what this is already, but LASD keep investigating. Ravana. Yeah, absolutely. Keep investigating because, you know, this is obviously a pattern where we see that indicated just by the fact that they share the same ethnicity. I think that's a clear indication of a hate crime. I would hope they would see that too and charge him accordingly because this is an, well, first, this is an individual who should be removed from society. This is someone who went on an attacking spree with, you know, no mind to the age of the victims willing to assault an elderly man, 14 year old and a baby. And a baby. This is someone who should, I'm glad he's arrested. This is someone who should be removed from society, poses a real danger, truly a menace. But I think that the indications that this is racially motivated are absolutely clear. Uh, and you're right, they need to keep investigating so that we can see that they take the appropriate legal actions against this individual. Yeah, it's not admissible in court. And I'm not a trained investigator, but I would rely on it. My spidey sense tells me that when you walk up to a 60-year-old man pushing a baby stroller, and maybe even heard baby cooing in there, I don't know, you don't see them as human. If you did, you wouldn't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't even, you know, I've done some acting. And you just played the part you're given. I don't know if I'd want to act that out in the movie. What are you going to draw from? Just draw from something in you to bring life to the character. This is a sick individual. And if you believe that there are only three victims sharing the same ethnicity, I think you might want to let it marinate and consider option B. This is indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed alongside Ravana offering her extraordinary commentary today. Much more indisputable. We'll stay on for just a little while longer in for Dr. Richie today when we come right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Richie. Raybana is here as our special guest co-host today. Let's give you some, some comments. Um, you all tuning in and speaking out. TYT member Mo Fury says this about the cop who still cop. Slammed, injured, a special needs second grader. Um, 212 pound difference. Really? You felt threatened? Okay. Uh, Mo says, you are correct, Ravana. Cops are trained that any slight against their ego is equivalent to a physical threat. That's right. What? Who needs a code, right? Who needs that they refer to this and you violated this? They don't really need it. It's just, eh, you offended me. Maybe even didn't like the way you looked at me. Don't you dare flip them off either. It's not written in the code, but. 
that could get you tased or worse. You're right. YouTube, same story. Cyber Gothica says when children are cops, victims, it's even worse. And it's revolting. Well said. Mac Panther says, PSA for the day, don't be a cop or soldier if you a damn coward become an influencer instead. It's a thought. It's a thought. Uh, one more for you. I don't care. Code SM96 says, I don't care. If I do a life sentence for that, it would be for the defense of another person. Somebody should have jumped in to help this kid. Somebody should have jumped in to help that grandfather. Okay, the baby, the boy. Didn't look like there were people around, but somebody, somebody must have seen something. And not to put the onus on people to rescue you from a filth bucket who's going around doing this, but the helplessness that some people feel just by, again, just going for a walk, just breathing, proud to go to the gym and learn a craft, and then I'm attacked. Assaults come in many forms. This next story, Chili's. You know, the chain restaurant, Chili's, refused to serve black family unless they paid in advance. It's Chili's, you don't even have to pay for a buffet in advance, I don't think. You pay on the way out. I mean, as much as I want. And pay the bill after. Federal discrimination lawsuit alleges that a child's, a Chili's rather, restaurant in Denver refused to serve a family of black customers unless they paid in advance. Now, why would you do this? Complaint states that Markeisha Utrell Smith went to the restaurant on April 30th, 2022 to celebrate her birthday with her husband and two children. She and her family were seated. The manager approached them and, quote, demanded that Ms. Utrell Smith provide a valid form of payment up front prior to taking her order if she wished to dine at the restaurant. Again, according to the lawsuit filed on November 28th. To justify that request, the manager accused Futrell Smith of not paying for her meals during previous visits, a practice known as dining and dashing. However, the complaint goes on to say that the manager couldn't provide any evidence to back up those claims. Now, someone had stolen from you in the past, dine and dash, and you recognize them come back. Would you ask them to pay or would you just ask them to leave? Maybe you would be holding on to the security footage. And you would have already called the police. Maybe you kept them there and said, I'll just get you some water. We're a little busy. Call the police. If that's what you did before, I don't even know why I would be entertaining this. But okay, what he said, no evidence to back it up. Utrell Smith then approached a waiter named Jacob who had served her family on different occasions at the restaurant and asked him point blank if he had accused her of walking out on her bills. Suit states that Jacob never reported her and said she and her family were frequent loyal customers at Chili's who always paid their bills. Complaint also says that Utrell Smith and her party were the only black diners in the restaurant that night. No other customer had been asked to pay for their meals up front. Atlanta Black Star filling in the detail. As a result of the manager's actions, Utrell Smith was left frustrated, angry, embarrassed, and humiliated in front of her family and the other patrons at the restaurant, according to the complaint. As of the date of filing, This complaint, Chili's has been unable to provide a legitimate, non-discriminatory reason that the woman was singled out, accused of theft, and denied service without a valid form of payment up front. Well, let's give you the response from Chili's, okay? I know they want to handle this, right? I'm sure they 
I don't know why a lawsuit would be filed. They would have already, well, let's see what happened here. A Chile spokesperson sent a statement to the Denver Post, which first reported this story, stating that the company is aware of the lawsuit. We value every Chile's guest and take the responsibility of fostering an inclusive environment for all very seriously. We do not condone or tolerate discrimination of any kind, as the safety and well being of our team members and guests is a top priority. Colorado's Civil Rights Division declared Chile's violated state discrimination laws. And that's a big, that's a big hurdle. They don't always, they don't always do that. You have to make your case and get over this threshold first, folks. They did it. Trail Smith did it just by using the facts here. They allowed to trail Smith to proceed with her lawsuit after filing a discrimination charge. She seeks a trial by jury. Wants the court to rule that Chile's violated both federal and state law. She also seeks compensatory, nominal, economic, consequential, and punitive damages and other forms of relief. Sounds good to me. Uh, I don't know what Chile's condones or doesn't condone, because I don't know why someone would be made a manager. You have to go through a special training, I think, to become a manager. And usually, whomever you work, or if there's strong leadership, they set the tone for how they want you to conduct their business. So I don't know, despite the statement from Chile's, what they do or do not condone. Is there any other reason you can think of, Ravana, that this family will be told they have to pay up front at this? Is Chili's a five-star restaurant? I don't know. Okay. Oh. I would pay up front. Well, maybe I do pay up front at McDonald's. But you understand what I'm asking here. This is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs here. Nonsense. Right. Absolutely. And I think you made an excellent point. If you thought this was a family that uh, had previously dined and dashed, why the hell would you seat them in the first place? <laughs> if they actually believed that this was, well, first of all, they'd be pretty stupid for someone to dine and dash and then come back to the same exact place uh, and think that they wouldn't get caught. But that aside, what would be the purpose of asking them to pay up front? Why would you just not ask them to leave the establishment? And that's because that wasn't actually what they believed. They just didn't want to allow this black family to dine in this uh, Chili's. It was pure racism, especially coupled with the fact that she spoke with the server that had served the family before. And he said, no, great yeah. customers. We love these customers. Fantastic. Always pay. It was clear racial discrimination, uh, which is how they were able to, you know, overcome that hurdle, as you mentioned, to get permission to sue for race discrimination. And I would Bet my bottom dollar that Chili's is going to be shilling out a lot of dollars to this family to try to avoid any further negative publicity. And I would hope they would also fire that manager and change the way that they do trainings that even allowed someone that racist to rise to that position of power at that location. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. My God, I there's some people I want to sue, Ravana, and you. I need an excellent trial lawyer. Not every lawyer can explain things like that and can do it so competently, eloquently, and badass. Okay. This is crazy. And whomever let the lawsuit get filed in the first place, okay, what are you going to lose the whole franchise? You're going to lose every Chili's if you just acknowledge what went down here. I would have done it 
privately. I said, oh, my goodness. All right, well, let me take 20 minutes. Can you spare 20 minutes? I just want to dig into some things. And I call and find out. I call. They said, Jacob was the server. I said, hey, mm-hmm. what do you know about this? What, huh? And then I said, well, listen, I have already, it only took me 18 of those 20 minutes. And then I was put on hold. And I found out that um, I'm horrified, horrified by what you went through. And I want to invite you down here to headquarters. You'll eat for free for a year if you'll even have us back. If you'll even dare to go back there. And I'm handling, we have a new manager that's coming soon. What's so hard about that? That federal lawsuit. Thank you, Retrell Smith, Ms. Retrell Smith, for doing this necessary work. Substitute teacher arrested for mooning students. Is this a- <laughs> Is this SNL? Is this the update desk? Why? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Per the Sacramento Bee, Northern California, Stephen Canciani, substitute teacher at Anderson Middle School in Shasta County, was arrested Tuesday after he reportedly exposed his buttocks to students inside a classroom. Working on the why. Police suspect Canciani has worked as a sub teacher at other schools in Shasta County. 32-year-old man from Connecticut was arrested on suspicion of indecent exposure and annoying or molesting a child, according to the Anderson Police Department. Investigators from the police department were called to the school for a report of a substitute teacher who allegedly exposed himself to a class of children. Sacramento B with the uh, raw details. Police said a vice principal at the school told investigators that two students came to her office and told her they could see the substitute teacher's bare buttocks and that his pants were partially down, the department said in a social media post. Vice principal went to the classroom, found the teacher with his pants and underwear down around his mid-thigh area. You mean you kept them down, sir? You mooned the kids and you kept the pants down, sir? Just left them there. Vice principal told the teacher he needed to leave the campus. She immediately escorted him off campus and contacted the police department. Did he pull his pants up when he walked to his car? Or did he then go across the campus like that? We don't know. Investigators questioned several students in the classroom, later obtained an arrest warrant for the substitute teacher. Police spent the afternoon and evening gathering information on the teacher's whereabouts and arranged for his peaceful surrender at about 8.30 p.m. Tuesday at the police department, according to the Post. Teacher was arrested and booked at the Shasta County Jail. He was no longer listed in custody Wednesday afternoon, according to Shasta County Sheriff's Office custody records. Shasta Superior Court online records did not show an arraignment had yet been scheduled for him. Now, the Reading Record Searchlight reported Cascade Union Elementary School District Superintendent Jason Prevent said in a statement released Wednesday, sixth grade students endured a very intolerable situation during class and that district officials had no prior knowledge of any inappropriate behavior. And the district will offer counseling services for students. I don't know if that would even be enough. What on earth are you doing, sir? Kids can get on your, particularly in the sixth grade. They're kids, they're sixth graders. I didn't hear anything that they did to warrant, warrant you undoing your pants and mooning these children. It's incredibly offensive, intolerable situation. 
to see a substitute teacher's likely hairy butt. I said it. I said it. How does a kid recover from that? Right? Again, now my father was a principal, my mother a school teacher. They brought home many stories. Not one day in their decades long experience did I ever hear about something ignorant. Like it's not even ignorant, it's ignorant, okay? You take it away cuz I don't know what to say anymore. I really don't know what to say either, except for what the hell? I don't, I mean, is this individual some type of pervert? That's the only takeaway I have from this is that must be the case is that this individual, you know, uh, is some type of pervert to moon the students in the first place and then to keep his pants and underwear lowered long enough that a student left the room, got the principal, came back with the principal, and he was still like that. And it's sad that we see things like this happening in schools. And I think that it's an opportunity to highlight the teacher crisis that we have, as well as the substitute teacher crisis that we have that allows unqualified and clearly not properly vetted individuals to be instructing classrooms or doing whatever the hell you want to describe this as in a classroom sure wasn't instructing. Um, And of course, that ties back into underfunding public education, undervaluing our school teachers who do the meaningful work, unlike this individual. And underpaying them. And if we had higher standards and better motivation for teachers to, to go into teaching and individuals to well-qualified individuals to go into teaching in the first place, maybe we could avoid more situations like the vi- <laughs> the substitute mooning teacher. Yeah, we start vetting people. It, what school did you go? Oh, Beavis and Butthead University. We, we, I don't think we're going to be able to use you this time. Outrageous. Outrageous. Ray, tell people where they can find more of your great work. Absolutely. Well, first, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, everybody can follow me at Ravana TTV on Twitter, and you can see my Rebel HQ videos every day. Got one up from just this morning. Trump supporters uh, uh, using their religion to justify bigotry. Of course, they are. Um, on You can check that out, Rebel HQ, YouTube, and on Facebook as well. Always appreciate you and love the way you break it down. And yes, your videos are definitely worth it. Uh, I'm Sharon Reedin for Dr. Rashad Ritchie today. Thanks so much for joining us um, and keep loyal, stay with Indisputable and the entire TYT powerful team. Um, we appreciate you. <laughs>